evidence and answers. The Christian Biblical Canons are the books Christians regard as divinely inspired and include both the Old and the New Testament. How were these books of the Bible put together? And who determined that these books were actually inspired by God? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In today's episode of Evidence and Answers, we will address the canon of the Bible. Now with this fascinating study is your host, Pat Zucran. How were the books of the Bible chosen? Was it a popular vote? Was it a political conspiracy, as some novelists allege? Do we have all the inspired works, or are there books missing from the biblical canon? You know, this is one of the most popular questions I'm asked as I teach seminars throughout the world. How in the world were the books of the Bible selected, and how did the biblical canon come together? Now, this is the question of the biblical canon. How were the books of the Bible chosen? Now, the word canon literally means ruler or measuring rod. So it refers to the criteria by which we decide what is inspired prophetic and apostolic writing that should be in the Old and New Testament. Now as we begin, let's take a look at the creation of the canon of the Old Testament. How were the books of the Old Testament chosen? Let's first take a look at that. Now when it comes to determining the books of the Old Testament, authorship is the key. The Old Testament books had to be written by a recognized prophet of God. Now, some of the things that help people identify a recognized prophet of God were the following. First, was the person confirmed by acts of God? We see that Moses and Elijah and other prophets were confirmed with supernatural signs and wonders that affirmed them as prophets of God. Also, the other prophets... Some did not perform supernatural signs and wonders, or some did a few, but they were also confirmed by supernatural prophecy. Prophecy, events foretold of the future with great detail, which indeed did come to pass. Next, were their writings and message consistent with previous revelation? God is not a God of contradiction, and so what he states from one prophet will not contradict a previous message from a previous prophet. In fact, Deuteronomy 13 gives this warning. It states, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And so Deuteronomy gives a warning here that even if a prophet should perform some kind of alleged miracle, that if his message is inconsistent with previous revelation or truth known about God, then you must not follow him. The next criteria is, does that message come with the power of God? 2 Timothy 3.16 states that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Inspired scripture has a different ring, has a different character than ordinary literature. So does it come with the power and the conviction of the Spirit of God? Next, was it accepted by the people of God? 
Now, when it comes to the Old Testament, the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, is the people of God. Was it accepted by the Jews and the nation of Israel? Not the church. The church determined the canon of the New Testament. But the Old Testament, was it accepted by the Jewish nation, the people of God? And finally, was it confirmed by Jesus? Jesus quotes numerous verses from many books of the Old Testament. And Jesus tells you where the Old Testament begins and where it ends. In Luke 11.51, Jesus states this. Jesus says, Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles. Some of them they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged to this generation. So Jesus says, the prophets from the foundation of the world till now. So he's going to identify all the Old Testament prophets. He says, from the blood of Abel, that is the son of Adam and Eve, to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. So Jesus tells us where the Old Testament begins and where it ends. The first prophet is Abel, and the last one is Zechariah. Now, you may be looking at your Old Testament there and saying, wait a minute, the final book in the Old Testament is not Zechariah, it's actually Malachi. Well, in the Hebrew Bible, their books are in a little bit different order. It begins in Genesis, but the final book is Second Chronicles. So all the 39 books of the Old Testament that we have now, that was the Old Testament canon. But in the Jewish Bible, it ends with Second Chronicles. And the last prophet in the last book of the Jewish Old Testament is indeed Zechariah. So the Old Testament we have now, the 39 books that were there, those were the books that Jesus was indeed authenticating there when he said from Abel to Zechariah. So the 39 books of the Old Testament we have now are the books in which Jesus was indeed confirming as the canon. Jesus Christ being the divine Son of God and therefore the things that he taught are indeed true and he established where the prophetic books begin with Genesis and where they end, Second Chronicles. So the 39 books that we have now are the books that Jesus was affirming. So when a confirmed prophet of God arose and preached among the people, if he left behind written scripture, that was inspired of God, that became part of the Old Testament canon. And Jesus affirms the beginning and the end of the Old Testament canon, and so did the Jewish nation. In fact, the Jewish Talmud writes this, With the death of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the latter prophets, the Holy Spirit ceased out of Israel. In other words, the Talmud here, the commentary on the Old Testament states that with the death of the last three, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, the Holy Spirit stopped inspiring the prophets of God. Jewish historian Josephus writes this, from Artaxerxes, the 4th century BC, until our time, everything that has been recorded but has not been deemed worthy of like credit with what preceded because the exact succession of the prophets ceased. So the prophets ceased about 400 BC with the death of Malachi, the final prophet of the Old Testament. And so that is how the Old Testament canon was created. When a recognized prophet of God arose and began preaching his message, and if his words were written down, that became part of the Old Testament canon.
and the final prophet Malachi and the prophet ceased from Israel about 400 BC that's affirmed by the Jewish nation and uh, the teachings of Jesus in Luke 11:51. so that is the Old Testament well what about the New Testament the New Testament is a little different and a little more fascinating if you study how it came together now the Apostles were with Jesus and the words that they were preaching people recognized was indeed the inspired Word of God because they were confirmed by acts of God and they were speaking in the power of the Holy Spirit now as the apostolic age came to an end there arose a need to identify and preserve the apostolic writings the early church needed to know which works were inspired and upon which they could build the foundation of their doctrine so that was one motivating factor for the creation of the New Testament canon but another motivation was the rise of heresies coming up in 140 AD a heretic named Marcion produced his canon known as Marcion's canon now Marcion believed the God of the Old Testament was different from the God of the New Testament Marcion saw the Old Testament God as one of wrath and judgment and the law and loved only the Jews and so he rejected the Old Testament and many books of the New Testament that seemed to be pro-Jewish Marcion's canon included only Luke's gospel and ten of Paul's letters and then arose another prominent heretic preaching Montanus and he produced his canon in about 156 AD as well and he believed that God was giving him special revelation he believed the Christian age centered on the new work of the Holy Spirit that was being and he was that vessel from which God was speaking and that Jesus and the Apostles needed to be pushed into the background so the rise of these heresies produced another need or another motivation for a New Testament canon and finally the persecutions that were coming upon the New Testament church especially from 302 to about 313 AD under Diocletian and Maximian two of the most severe persecutions that had come upon the church and not only were Christians being killed and martyred but their works were also being burned and destroyed and so the early church had to know which works would they be willing to give up to the fire and those that needed to be protected even with their life and so those were some of the motivating factors for the creation of the New Testament canon now how were the works of the Apostles recognized well once again to be selected into the New Testament canon like the Old Testament authorship was the key the book had to be written by an Apostle or their very close associate the Apostles knew when they were writing ordinary works and when they were writing inspired scripture several passages in the New Testament give us a clue that the disciples knew when they were writing just ordinary literature and when they were writing inspired scripture for example in Romans 16 verse 25 in Paul's doxology he writes this now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations 
according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience to faith. Paul here is saying, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul is speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit and sees his writing as inspired scripture and calls it my gospel and also is equating it with the preaching of Jesus Christ, the authority of the teachings of Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter 3.15, Peter writes about the writings of his friend Paul. And he writes this, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand which ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So here, Peter calls Paul's writings scripture. So he treats the writings of Paul as equivalent to the holy scriptures of God. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes this, For scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now, Paul quotes the first part from the book of Deuteronomy. And the second part, the laborer deserves his wages, comes as a direct quote from the Gospel of Luke. So Paul equates Luke's Gospel with Scripture here. So Paul equates the writings of Luke as equal to the Scripture of the Old Testament. So he calls both of them Scripture. So we can see that the apostles did recognize when indeed they were writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and when they were writing inspired writing. Now since the writings had to be connected with an apostle, the date of the writing is also critical. They had to be written within the first century AD. The final apostle, John, died in about 95 AD. So when you date most of these books, you had to be able to date them within the first century AD. Any writing after that would not have been written by the apostles or anyone that was closely connected and getting their teachings directly from the apostles. Next, there needed to be widespread recognition and use of a book by the early church. This was another key criteria. The apostolic writings were well known and often commanded to be read in the churches. For example, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul writes, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And so the writings of the apostles were passed and used in the early church throughout the Roman world. The church fathers, some of who knew the apostles or their immediate disciples, recognized and were able to identify apostolic writings. If a majority of the church fathers recognized the work as apostolic, we could safely conclude that it was indeed authentic and that it had come from one of the apostles. There was no book that was doubted by a large number of the churches and early fathers that made it into the New Testament canon. Next, there needed to be a consistency with previous revelation. God cannot contradict himself. And so what was considered apostolic writing or inspired writing needed to be consistent 
with the writings of the previous apostles and the prophets of the Old Testament. And finally, does the book tell truth about God and does it come with the power of the Spirit of God? Once again, inspired scripture has a different character from literature that's written by men. Now, the church knew which books were inspired and had been quoting them in their writings and teachings as the inspired Word of God. And as apostolic works were recognized and used in churches, they were collected. Those that were apostolic, like cream rises to the top, they also rose to the top. So that by the second century AD, the majority of apostolic writings were collected and being used in the churches. Most of the New Testament books were recognized and only a few were disputed. So that by 140 AD, all the books of the New Testament were quoted by the early church fathers in their writings as equivalent to Old Testament scripture. So you can look at the writings of all the church fathers and by 140 AD, you can see that they were quoting from all the books of the New Testament except for 3 John. And by 170 AD, the New Testament canon was being quoted by all the church fathers and all the books were accepted at the local level. Okay? At the local level, the churches were using the books of the New Testament canon. Now, I say at the local level, remember, because at this time the church is being persecuted and so there was not the ability for the church to have a big universal church council to recognize finally the New Testament canon but they were already accepted and being used at the local level. So the early church fathers such as Papias, Clement of Rome, Justin Martyr, Polycarp, the Shepherd of Hermas, Irenaeus, Origen, Clement of Alexandria, they pretty much quoted from almost all the books of the New Testament and were quoting them as authoritative and inspired scripture. Now some early New Testament canons did arise. The earliest that we know of is the Muratorian Canon, which arose about 170 AD and enlisted all the books of the New Testament except for 1 John, 1 and 2 Peter, Hebrews, and James. The Syriac version of the canon, 170 AD, leaves out 2 Peter, 2 and 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. The old Latin canon included all the books except Hebrews, James, 1 and 2 Peter. Origen's New Testament in 250 AD contained all 27 books, and Eusebius, considered the first church historian, included all the books of the New Testament, and he was writing about 300 AD. Now remember I said the New Testament books were accepted at the local level because at this time the church is being persecuted and could not have a big universal church council. Well, when the Emperor Constantine became a Christian, then for the first time the church was able to meet together in a big universal church council where bishops from all over the Roman Empire were able to come and discuss some important things. Now, the key focus at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D., was the nature of Jesus Christ. Was he a created being or was he the eternal Son of God? That was the big focus of that council there. Now it is also at that council that Athanasius the Great was commissioned to put together an official list of the New Testament books 
And in 367 AD, he listed all 27 books, which were ratified at a later council there. The second council in 381, the Council of Constantinople, put the Arian heresy to rest, but it also accepted Athanasian's canon, which Athanasius did not have 80 books to look at, and he just chose these 27. No, Athanasius confirmed the books that were already being used by the churches throughout the Roman Empire. So he did not create the canon. He simply ratified or confirmed the canon that was already being used by the churches throughout the Roman Empire. Now, the Council of North Africa at Hippo, it recognized the New Testament canon in 393 AD. And the later synods of Carthage in 397 and 418 both confirmed the 27 books of the New Testament. So as I was stating, these councils did not create the canon. They simply affirmed the canon that was already there. In other words, the church did not create the canon. They indeed discovered the canon. At these councils, they ratified the 27 books that were already being used at the local church level throughout the Roman Empire. So God preserved his word and passed it on to us from the prophets through the nation of Israel, through Jesus and the apostles, through the early church. The inspired words were recorded, written, and preserved, and passed on to us. That is how we got the books of the Old and the New Testament. God finishes what he starts, so the words that he wanted us to have, he indeed preserved for all generations to read. All the books that God wanted are there in the Old and in the New Testament. Nothing more and nothing less. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. Be sure to join us next time for the conclusion of Pat's study on the canon of the Bible. If you found this broadcast to be a blessing, please consider partnering with us. Evidence and Answers relies on generous donations from you, our listeners, for the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air. Click on that Donate button on the lower right-hand side of our homepage. That's evidenceandanswers.org. We have a wide variety of resources available for you. Join us again next time on the air or online for more Evidence and Answers. <laughs>